My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here and sincerely welcome. If you are new or newer, uh, pumped you're here. Uh, actually, if you've been here for 10 years, I'm pumped you're here. Uh, our heartbeat's pretty simple. We want to help all people walk with God. And so hopefully you've had a chance to be encouraged this morning, whether it be through conversation or song or whatever it might have been. But uh, I sincerely been praying all morning that you would have an encounter with the living Christ today. Um, I know typically uh, try to start sermons on a lighter note, try to make a nice funny joke, uh, hard pivot today. I need to start on a little bit more of a serious note. Um, it's undeniable at some level that we are in the middle of a culture war. And I think we're all thinking, I think we all see it, because we're confronted with it everywhere we look. Right? When we turn on the TV, it's there. Uh, you go to the movie theaters, it's there. You turn on the internet, it's there. And uh, no one's really saying out loud what I think needs to be said. And so, I don't know, maybe it's because I just became a father, uh, but I just fear if we don't speak up soon, uh, it's going to be too late. And so this morning, I'm planting my flag in the ground. I'm no longer going to stand for Disney remaking every great classic into a live-action movie. <laughs> it's offensive, absurd, ridiculous. Because Disney has this unbelievable ability to make movies that are about so much more than the movie. I remember the first time I saw The Lion King. I was a little bit older, so I kind of could see some of the themes that were more so about the movie than the movie itself. And the one scene that I just resonated with was that moment that Simba returns back home after he's been on the run. Hey, do you remember when Simba, because I'm about to spoil the plot, so if you haven't seen it, it's on you, it's been 25 years. Simba feels responsible for killing his father. And so he runs away. He runs away from his family. He grows up, and he meets up with uh, Pumbaa and Timon, and they start to have that carefree living, right? Akuna Matata. But there's this moment when Simba meets Rafiki, and Rafiki helps remind Simba who he is. And so that one night, Simba sees his father in the clouds, Mufasa. And you remember what his father, Mufasa, says to Simba? He says, you have forgotten who you are. You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. And in, this, in the movie, it's this aha moment for Simba, where he realizes, I don't need to be eating bugs anymore. Like, I don't need to be sloughing it through the jungle. It's when Simba realizes, I'm a child of the king, like my father lives in me. And so Simba then returns and he runs back home. Right? What happens is, this mistaken identity, it's remembered who he really is, right? His mistaken identity, it's reclaimed. And this idea of mistaken identities being remembered, that's what Exodus 19 is about. Exodus 19 is another pivot point in the book of Exodus, right? Because for the first 18 chapters, right, we have 400 years of slavery, we have deliverance from Egypt, we have a march into the wilderness, and now in 19, they get to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God's going to remind Israel who they are. Because for over 400 years, they have forgotten. Israel doesn't know what it means to be God's people. They don't know what it means to walk in right relationship with God. And so in Exodus 19, the first six verses, if I could just sum up the sermon in one sentence, I would say it like this. If you want to know who you are, Know who God is. Exodus 19, this is God saying, Israel, you have forgotten who you are. 
You are so much more than you have become. Remember who you are. Today, in this room, we have so many identity crises. We're real and we're scrambling trying to figure out who we are. And what God's word is going to tell you today is if you want to know who you are, know who God is. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus 19, and we're going to camp out in the first six verses. And if you're reading along on your cell phone, just click on the ESV translation, and you'll be able to read along with me. Exodus 19, starting in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. In other words, if you want to know who you are, Israel, know who God is. And so if what we're saying is that knowledge of self is preceded by knowledge of God, we have to ask our question, who is God? Earlier this week, did a little homework, and I, and I live in Beverly, North Shore of Boston, and I, at the local YMCA and through the neighborhoods, I asked five random people, hey, can I have a second of your time? And I just asked, who is God? These are some of the answers I got. First one, God, he's kind of in all things and in all people, and he's kind of like the spirit thing that's kind of working all things together so everything's in harmony. Right? Kind of like a hippie flair. Next guy's, guy talked, he said, who is God? He said, God, basically a self-help guru. Like, got some good morals, got some good ethics, got some good wisdom advice. He just wants you to live a more fulfilled life. Ask another person, who is God? He said, well, you know, God is kind of the same for all people. So whether it be Christians or uh, Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or whatever it is, like, it's all the same God. We just kind of talk about him differently. Ask one person, who is God? She said, God isn't real. She asked me what I did for a living. <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> but the way she responded was, oh, you work with gullible, weak-minded people. Last person I talked is that who is God? God's a bigot, judgmental and out of date. I suspect if you went and asked five people today who is God, you would get ten different answers. But I'm going to ask you this morning because you came to church. Who is God? And I want you to be really honest for a second. Don't think what you're supposed to say. I mean from like inside your guts, like who is God? Who do you honestly think he is? What do you honestly think he is like? 
Because if you want to know who you are, you need to know who God is. And if you can't be honest about who you think God is, you're never going to know who you are. That's where Israel's at. Israel, they have no idea who they are because they have no idea who God is. And so God starts talking to Moses, and he starts with, this is who I am. This is what he says in verse 4 in Mount Sinai. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. The first thing he says is, God is powerful. Moses, you just saw what I did to Pharaoh. You just saw my power in the ten plagues that totally devastated Egypt. Broke down their economy, their society, their people, their culture. You just saw my power when I split the Red Sea. And you saw my power when millions of people walked through. I've shown you my power in such a way, it's undeniable to the whole world. Who is God? It starts in his power. Have you seen God's power in your life? Have you seen him move before? And when I ask you who is God, is the first thing you go to his power? Or maybe, I want to see God's power. I'd like to see it. I just, I don't even know where to look. I'm not sure what it looks like. I'm telling you this morning, if you want to know who you are, you need to know who God is. And when you ask the question, who is God, it needs to start that he's a powerful God. Because that's where God starts. It's not where God ends, though. Keep reading with me in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings. The second thing is God is protector. The image of the eagle in Hebrew, that's the protection of God. So when Lindsay and I go home for Christmas this year, like good Minnesotans, we'll go ice fishing. If you've never been ice fishing, it's as terrible as it sounds. (laughs) And where we go, it's in the middle of nowhere, like totally the boonies, and there's all these tall trees around the lake. And on top of these trees, these bald eagles just sit. And they just kind of look. And what happens is when a fisherman doesn't want the fish they catch, they take it and they just kind of throw it out into the middle of the ice. And then this eagle will kind of pop its head up, its wings spread, and it's just... And it's like these massive, beautiful, glorious, powerful birds. And when they soar, get out of the way. Like nothing's going to stop that eagle from getting that fish. And that's the image God gives of himself. He says, Israel, I put you on my back. And in my power, we soar. Nothing can touch you. Get out of my way. Like who is God? No, God is powerful. God is protector. It keeps getting better because God keeps getting better. Read with me again in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, how I brought you to myself. If you want to know who you are, then you know that God is personal. Right? This is not an impersonal God. He says, I'm bringing you to myself. The same business relationship, not employer-employee. God is saying, no, I want you with me. We talk about pivot points in the book of Exodus, and Exodus 19, certainly one. The first one, Exodus 3. If you remember in Exodus 3, God bent down on his knee, and he revealed his name to Moses. 
And do you remember what his name was? Yahweh. That's his relational name. That's his personal name. Right? If you want to know who God is, you've got to know he's a personal God. And so when he shows up in Exodus 19 to Israel, he says, if you're trying to figure out who you are, you need to know that I want you with me. I'm saving you for me. I'm redeeming you to be in a relationship and walk with me. I'm bringing you to myself. Who is God? God is a personal God. If you want to know who you are, you need to know who God is. And if you don't know who he is, everything else will be off. And now I know I say that, and some of you are thinking, well, that sounds fine, but I just don't actually think that's true. Because God can be powerful and protector and personal. He can be so much more. I'm pretty happy with who I am. So even if I don't know who that God is, maybe I just got ignorant bliss. Like, I'm okay with that. Great spouse, great family, great job, great education, 401k, got the whole thing going. Why do I really need to know who God is? Let me just say, if that's you, man, you can swim in the kiddie pool all you want. They have the best seat in the house. You are a shadow of what God created you to be. You are so much more than what you've become. And if you want to settle for whatever this world's offered you and just be okay with that, you don't have a clue. You don't know who you are. Because if you want to know who you are, you need to know who God is. And what God says is, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians. He's powerful. How I bore you on eagle's wings because he's protector. How I brought you to myself because he's personal. That's who he is. And from there, we can begin to understand who we are. But now asking the question, who are we? It's a weird question. Because we're so trained to think about who we are in terms of what we produce or what our position is. So if you ask five people, who do you think God is? If you just ask them follow up, well, who do you think you are? I almost guarantee you they would all tell you the same thing. What they do for a job, what school they go to, or who they are positionally related to someone else. So I'm a husband, or I'm a wife, I'm a father, I'm a mother, something like that. Because we're trying to think of our personality in terms of what value do we have? What do we contribute? But that's how we think. But now again, you came to church today, so I'm going to ask you instead. Who are you? And I'm going to push you to be really honest. Don't tell me what you do for work, and don't tell me your position relative to someone else. Definitely don't give me the Jesus juke answer right now. Like, who are you? If we sat down, cup of coffee, just you and me, and maybe for the first time ever in your life, if you let yourself be completely honest, completely transparent, totally vulnerable, and I just ask, what words describe you? Who are you? What would you say? Maybe write those words down or keep them in the back of your head for a second. Because Israel, they don't know. And God has just told Israel who he is. And now in verse 5, 
He's going to tell them who they are. So read with me again in verse 5. Now, therefore, in light of who I am, that I'm powerful and protector and personal, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God says, I'm going to set up this covenant. And in this covenant, if you obey, now you have identity. And the first thing he says is, you're going to be a treasured possession. And notice the qualifier. A treasured possession from among all the people, for all the earth is mine. So God looks at Israel and he says, Israel, you have a unique position. I'm choosing you. I'm in love with you. There is a pointed, directed, electing love for Israel. He says, among everybody, no, you're my treasured possession. He says the same thing in the New Testament with the church. He says, you are my treasured possession. There is a specific love God has for you. I put this in a posture of privilege. God says a second thing about who we are. He then says, you're a kingdom of priests. Now, in this time in biblical history, you've got to realize the vast majority of people could not interact with God. Right? There's this chasm between who God is and who people are, and you just couldn't cross it unless you were a priest. And what God says is, Israel, now you're the priests. You have access to a personal God. You can sit with the creator the sustainer of the universe. You have access to that God because you are now one of my priests. Again, do you hear the posture of privilege? Lastly, he says, you're a holy nation. We get all wigged out with the word holy. It just means set apart for something. And holiness in the Bible, it's twofold. God says, you're holy internally. Meaning, because you're my people, God's likeness is in you. God's character is in you. And so as you strive for God, you become like God. There needs to be a desire in you that I want to be more like God and who he is. That's internal holiness. Holiness is also external. Meaning that the nations look at the internal holiness of God's people, and they say, I want that. Like there's something about that that's very unique. And it's an evangelistic in its nature. So God says to Israel, he says, because of who I am, no, you're a holy nation. Inside of you, you're trying to be like God. And outside of you, people want it. If you want to know who you are, know who God is. God says, Israel, I am powerful, I am protector, and I am personal. And because I am these things, your treasured possession you're a priest, and you're holy. Let's go back to another honest question. I'm going to keep pressing to be honest this morning. When I asked, who are you? Who came up with, I'm a treasure, I'm a priest, or I'm holy? That didn't even make my top 50. See, I don't know if I've ever met anyone who comes up with those answers right off the bat. And you know what that tells me? self-included, we really struggle to know God. And that's evidenced by the fact that we don't know who we are. Sure, we might know God if we're quizzed about him. 
write down the right answers on the quiz. That we can do fine. But we actually talk about hearing his voice, listening, experiencing, and being in relationship with God. We really struggle to get there. See, the Israelites in Exodus 19, they're hard to resonate with. Not holy, not a treasure, not a priest. The Israelites in the first 18 chapters, that's a little easier. Right? Who are you? I'm a complainer. And I don't even know why I complain, because I've seen God give me so many good things, but I wake up the next day and I just want more. I'm never satisfied. Who are you? I'm a doubter in my faith. And I hate the fact that I doubt because I've seen God move. I've seen his power. I've seen him provide. But every morning I wake up, I'm not even sure God likes me. I'm not even sure I believe he's actually there. Who are you? Man, I got these shackles around my, chi- my wrist. That's who I am. And it makes no sense because God already broke the shackles off. So why do I keep putting them on myself? That I get. What voices are speaking into you right now? Is it God's voice or is it someone else? Who are you? I'm a loser. Everyone in high school made that really clear. Who are you? I'm stupid. Teachers treat me that way my whole life. Who are you? I'm not worth the time. Data was never around, so that was pretty obvious. Who are you? I'm never going to meet expectations. Because mom set the bar so high and I could never please her. Who are you? I'm ugly. No one's ever paid attention to me. Who are you today? I'm an addict. I can't break away from the pills or the bottle or whatever else it is. I'm a liar. I'm a failure. I'm a joke. I'm phony. I'm a cheat. I'm greedy. I'm a self-righteous bigot. Who are you? And I know that's the list that's being compiled in our heads. And I just need you to hear something this morning. That list, if that's what you come to, you are not wrong. You're not. In fact, I'd give you 100 more adjectives, 100 more nouns. But I also hear this. You are more than you have become. Remember who you are. I have this tattoo on my arm. It says, how he loves. Nothing to do with the song. When I was in college, if you would have asked me the question, Kyle, who are you? I would have told you, Unlovable, ashamed, guilty, insecure. 
was a brand new Christian at the time, and so I had the concepts of grace in my head. It sounded awesome. I just couldn't fathom a world in which God would actually extend grace towards me. And so I walked around with just this depression and just this self-hatred. And I had a football coach named Coach Jay. And Coach Jay had this unique ability just to say what needed to be said at the perfect time. And one day after practice, Coach Jay pulled me aside, kind of an intense voice. Kyle, God loves you. And I said, yeah, 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 Coach, I know, I know. He said, no, Kyle, you don't. He said, God loves you, not because of, not in spite of. God loves you, period. And he gave me a hug and he walked away. And I don't know why, but for the first time ever in my life, it clicked. I was so much more than I had become. I'd forgotten who I was. If I wanted to know who I was, I had to know who God was. In Ephesians 1, that before the foundation of the world, God looked at me, and he said, that's my beloved son. I love that guy. He changed my life. If you want to know who you are, you have to know who God is. And if you want to know who you are, you have to know it's not what you do. It's not what you've done. If you want to know who you are in Christ, you are what Christ has done. Because that's the whole point of Exodus 19. Because it says, if you keep my covenant, if you obey my commands, you can't keep covenant. Are you kidding me? You can't obey commands. We've just established, all of us here, we are all losers. We are all rejects. We are all waste-of-space, self-loving, pride-filled bums. That's who you are. That's who I am. And God says, Exodus 19, I'm making this covenant. And in this covenant, I'm going to make you my treasure. I'm going to make you a priest. I'm going to make you holy. Well, goodness, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't. That's the point. But it points right to Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ come to do? I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to keep the covenant. I brought a new covenant, a better covenant. I came to keep the commandments. And when Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, God looked at Christ and said, treasured possession, priest, the great high priest. He said, holy. If you want to know who you are, know who God is. You want to know who God is, look to what Christ has done for you. That's the gospel. You got mistaken identity, we all do. And you start by knowing, okay, who is God? Well, God is glorious and good and loving and faithful and just. He's patient, he's steadfast, he's righteous. And in that, he looks at me. He looks at you. And all those things you've become at your worst possible spot. God says, I want you in my family. I'll do anything to get you in my family. In fact, I'm going to send my son. And my son's going to become all these things that you were. I'm going to nail him to a tree. And then when he rises victorious, everything that he was, now you become.
mistaken identity. Remember who you are. Christ became who you are so that we might become who he is. That is the gospel. Listen, if you don't know who God is this morning, your identity can change forever. If you would come to Christ, if you would look to him, to everything that he was in his perfection, if you would say, I can't keep this covenant, I can't obey, I'm all these things and a hundred more, and if you would lay that at the foot of the cross, like hear this and let this sink in for a second, right now, your identity, it will change forever. Not for a month, not for a year, not for a hundred years, for eternity, it changes. You are so much more than you've become. Remember who you are. If you want to know who you are, know who God is. You want to know who God is, know what Christ has done. That's the gospel. I want to end today by doing something slightly different. So if you would, would you please stand with me? If you're in the open space hanging out, please feel free to stand as well. This is for you. Now, in all of us, to hold our hands like this. And if you would close your eyes, please do that so no one needs to feel weird or insecure about this. No one can see you. I asked you the question, who are you? And all those words and phrases that, straight, that were straight from the pit of hell, I want you to put those words in the palm of your hand. And I want you to imagine right now Christ in his scarred hands grabbing that identity and taking it out of your hand. And in Jesus Christ, because of who he is, because of what he's done, I'm going to read for you a few of the titles he has given us as his children. And as I read these titles, I want you just to imagine each one being put in your palms, just in this posture of receiving. And then I'm going to pray for us when I get done. Who are you? You are a child of God. You are a branch of the true vine. You are a friend of of Jesus. You are justified. You are redeemed. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a new creation. You are a citizen in heaven. You are the righteousness of God. You are the temple of the living God. You are accepted. 
you are alive. You are a saint. You are a priest. You are sealed. You are hidden in Christ. You are free. You've been found in Christ. You've been made complete. You are chosen. You are God's beloved.